Imagine that you live in a home that's all synced up to the internet of things. You can turn on the lights with a snap and use your voice to control anything in your home. The only problem is your vacuum has started going haywire and the whole house is going nuts. You're pretty sure your neighbor is to blame, but technically you may have been using his Wi-Fi, so there might be a technicality. But the question is, what do you do? And how is a human pancreas involved? Well, this is just one scenario question game designer Molly Zeff poses in her game, Wing It. And in today's episode, Molly and award-winning actor Rich Lovejoy are both here to talk about storytelling in not just the board game, but also our relationships in the workplace. And seriously, the pancreas thing is relevant. Stay tuned. Welcome to Figuring It Out, the podcast for millennials navigating life in our 20s and 30s. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and each week we'll explore a new topic on work, relationships, lifestyle, and more. When I think about storytelling, I can't help but wonder, why do we tell stories anyway? Are they necessary to human survival, or are they just fun ways to keep us entertained? Well, today we've got two experts here to help us understand just how deeply stories can help us understand each other. And by the end of this episode, we'll explore how stories increase our empathy, how they build loyalty and trust, and also, of course, how they add a bit of fun to our day. And speaking of fun, today we tried something totally out of my comfort zone, and we played a legitimately unscripted card game on the show. So get excited to see how that one turns out. But first, let's meet the guests. Molly Zeff started designing a storytelling party game now called Wing It back in 2010 as a hobby with childhood friend John Cannon. And after four years of creating content and starting rounds of market testing around the country, they began turning their hobby into a business at the same time she started business school back in 2014. Now... After a successful crowdfunding campaign and a few more years of refining and experience, Molly now works full-time as the head of Flying Leap Games, where as CEO, she oversees promotion of Wing It alongside other games in development. We also have Richard Lovejoy, an award-winning actor, writer, and narrative expert. He specializes in bringing the tool sets of a trained performer into the corporate world, helping people master the art of public speaking. He's had clients in tech, fashion, and finance, and he believes the connections actors make with the audience can be replicated in fields outside of the entertainment industry. So as I'm sure you can imagine, listeners, I can't wait to jump in and learn more. So Molly, Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. To kick things off, do you guys want to just each tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe we'll start with Molly. Sounds great. So I am a game designer living in Brooklyn, also doing a little acting on the side right now. And my background is actually in social enterprises, businesses or nonprofits that work on addressing poverty and related problems. And I love working in that area. I worked in it for 10 years, but I really have a creative side that was never fulfilled on that path. So... I had acted for 14 years. I've been in an African singing group. Um, I used to write more slam poetry and some raps. And really, Wing It just grew out of a love of 
board games and a desire to really create something totally new to put into the world. And um, when I started it back in 2010 and dreamed it up, it was partly as a way to pay for grad school, which, you know, it, it was seven years later, I was out of grad school and we were publishing it. But it was also just a really fun, creative exercise to do with a, a childhood friend. And um, it sort of became a, a lifestyle for me. The idea of winging it kind of translated into a board game. And uh, we'll talk more about that later. But uh, that was our, our first game. And then it took off. So I stayed in this new career path for myself. Awesome. And maybe before we jump over to Rich, uh, we shared a little bit about Wing It in the intro, but how did you get that spark of an idea in the first place? Sure. So it was right around my 26th birthday. So again, this was back in 2010. If you don't like doing math, I'm 34 then now. And I was interested at the time in creating something totally new, either writing a book or inventing something that would help pay for business school down the line. And I thought of board games just because I love playing them with friends, but also because I was pretty inspired by the writers of the Would You Rather books, which also became a game and thought, gosh, people are paid to sit around all day, full adults sitting around coming up with ideas like, would you rather have a ketchup dispensing navel or a nose sharpening nostril? And I thought I should be paid to be weird, too, because because I'm pretty quirky already. Why not make a career out of that? <laughs> Somebody's got to be paid for it, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then, Rich, how about you? What do you do and how did you enter the scene? So I am a writer, actor, uh, public speaking coach and narrative expert. And I've been working in film and theater for most of my adult life and I have very recently started just using uh, narrative and storytelling in my public coaching work. I'm with a, a company called Lovejoy and Morlock, and we teach storytelling and narrative to corporations and to individuals as well and kind of help people figure out how to use narrative in their lives. That's so interesting. And I think between the two of you, we're going to be talking about storytelling a lot in this episode. It'll be interesting to hear from the perspective of, you know, storytelling from a game designer some, and then storytelling about the workplace. And then the two of you, I know, both have acting and tons of storytelling experience put together. So I think we're in for a very well-rounded approach to this world of storytelling. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in. You two regularly talk about storytelling and things in the workplace, you know, relationships, connections to people. But before we dive in, why do you guys think storytelling is so important, so prevalent in all these different aspects of our lives? I think it is a primordial action to tell story. I think it is deep within the subconsciousness of people, we have a need to make sense of the world around us. And one of the ways we do that is through story. And the structure of stories gives us a window with which to make sense of our lives. It's one of the reasons like we're all, you know, people have the hashtag content. I must have hashtag content type of joke, but there's something to that. Like we need to hear the story, story tell every day in every situation of our lives. When you say the structure of a story, can you tell us what that means? Sure. So one of the opportunity to study under was Yoshio Ida, and he had this amazing exercise uh, at the beginning of this work, acting workshop he did where he had everybody in the room just start clapping. And he gave no further instructions. So we have a group of people and everyone's just kind of clapping chaotically. And then what happened naturally was people synced up and then the rhythm got faster 
and then it broke apart and kind of uh, went back into kind of being meandering chaos. And after that happened, he said every time he's done his acting workshop around the world, no matter where he is, that's what happens when you tell a group of people to clap because that's the structure of narrative. You have It starts formless. It begins to take a form. It accelerates. And then we kind of come to a resolution that brings us back to where we began in some way or into, you know, we go back into the entropy to create something else. So I also love the idea of primordial entertainment. I mean, literally, I was reading about this not so long ago that the invention of fire led to storytelling as, you know, one of the world's first forms of entertainment because you could finally sit around after your chores were done at night and tell stories. In modern day, I think obviously stories help us understand other people's points of view a lot better. And I think what stories about our personal lives tell people is that when we have very differing points of view, that they come from somewhere logical and emotional and personal. And they help us build empathy with people who we really fundamentally disagree with by at least understanding the stories that led them to be who they are and to have the values they have. And I think that's incredibly important as we can see from this, you know, big growth in the, the, the rise of different dialogue groups in a modern, really divided political context the couple, last couple of years or so. I think we've seen that per people's personal stories can finally get two people who despise each other's viewpoints, at least to the point where they understand, you know, the other person's coming from somewhere logical, even if they disagree, it came from somewhere deeply personal and it's not all about, you know, hatred for the other or even uh, the things we often assume it's about, like, you know, I won't get into too much detail here, but a fundamental disagreement with helping the poor, let's say, for instance. We often can insert that into someone's viewpoint without really knowing that it comes, their viewpoints come from somewhere totally different. Do you have like an example of how a story might help me better empathize with somebody? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually just finished an incredible book that some people love to hate. And, you know, there are some perhaps some good reasons for that. But it's called Hillbilly Elegy. It was a bestseller. I'm sure some of the listeners out there have read it. I'd love to hear what they think of it. And basically, a conservative author in that book made me realize that I could understand and sympathize, if not empathize, with his viewpoints. It was one of the first times I'd found myself really understanding where a deeply conservative person politically was coming from. So I'm someone who, in a liberal arts education, spent years studying poverty and the symptoms of poverty and the causes of it. And I disagree with people who don't believe in a social safety net, which this author, J.D. Vance, really doesn't seem to believe in, in a social safety net at all, at least as you know, created by the government. But what he explained in the book is that he saw people around him coming from rural Appalachia, often settling in Ohio, along the Rust Belt, he saw people abusing the welfare system so often that he came to disagree with the welfare system itself, even though he knows that some people really need it and rely on it. And while this felt contradictory to me, I also realized that I had never known anyone personally who abused the welfare system. So what he saw was people who just, who were perfectly capable of working, relying totally on government support. And he saw people around him who were working hard, really struggling. And so he's an example of someone who, you know, if I sat down and had a conversation with instead of just assuming he, you know, he hates on poor people and assumes things about poor people, I would understand that actually he's known a lot of people who were, you know, either working really hard and still not able to make it, but didn't qualify for welfare or people who were totally dependent on welfare by choice. And I'd understand where he was coming from a bit better and be able to feel like, okay, at least there's some logical observation behind his viewpoints. I think viewpoint, that's exactly what just kept coming up for me is 
the backbone, it seems, of storytelling is that there is always a perspective. Somebody is always the person telling the story, which can have a major impact on the way that it's told. Exactly. Yeah, and there's a, the stories are often divide. We, we talk about the different types of stories. You know, there's the journey, which is a classic story, and the stranger comes to town, which is just the journey from somebody else's perspective. So, like the viewpoints are everything with a story. What would you say are some of the other like, benefits of storytelling, or what can it do for us? When you see the way that somebody tells a story about their day or about something that happened to them, you can see how it codifies their thought process. You can see how they're using story to figure out how to interpret and move past the daily traumas and events in their life. So if, you know, if you have a bad day at work, if you have, you know, a boss yells at you and you're telling that story, you probably have a point of view about the thing that you were being yelled about. Was it something that you actually did wrong that was worthy of you know, some sort of reprimand, but maybe not as serious as it was. Was it something that you feel that you were in the right about and you felt maybe offended that your boss yelled at you about that? There's a lot of little details and choices that go into even a simple story that give information to the person on the other end about what is happening with you, where your thought process is, and how to best take care of you, the person telling the story. If, you know, if you're relating a trauma you went through, the manner in which you relate that trauma is a signal to the people around you about like what kind of care you might need or might not need. That's like another way that it kind of all ties back to empathy for me too. I really like this theme of, you know, storytelling as a way to empathize with somebody. I don't think that's a specific way I had considered before, but the more both of you are describing this, I can feel that you might learn a lot about somebody and what they value, like you're saying, Rich, just through the ways that they do storytell or what they choose to include in their stories. And Molly, did you have anything else just related to storytelling that you think is important to talk about? Sure. I just wanted to emphasize that particular point that I've been reading about the science behind storytelling. One of the specific ways that there's a scientific basis for using storytelling, you know, whether that's in, you know, working with your coworkers better or building the brand of a company or telling the story of a nonprofit is that literally providing emotional stimulation through storytelling activates the empathy in our brains. It literally releases certain chemicals. So I won't get too much into the details of that, but essentially what we're doing is, is we're relying on a basic need in our own brain to have a, a deep emotional connection with the other person. That's interesting thinking about the science behind it though, too, because I've read the book, The Storytelling Animal, and a big thesis of the book is, is storytelling necessary for humans? Like, how has this managed to continue being passed down from generation to generation? Do we really need it? And to your point, it seems like the answer is a resounding yes. Absolutely. There's, there's no question that we have a fundamental need to connect to other people. I mean, I think that that need is probably greater for someone like myself who loves talking to strangers and often finds myself in like these really deep conversations on the subway or in the line at the grocery store or whatever with, you know, with folks I've just met. But in general, you know, the, the reason that people sit around the dining table or sit around on a retreat and talk for hours is that they want to hear each other's stories and they want also for their story to connect and intersect in a sort of Venn diagram with someone else's life experiences so they can have that, you know, moment of, oh my gosh, I've experienced that too, you know, and, and have that deep connection and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Someone else 
has also felt that way in, in a similar situation. Mm, I think that's such a great point that the storytelling helps you feel like you can connect to somebody and like, oh, they've had that experience too. They get me. Definitely. So I think one of the things I wanted to piggyback off of what you were just saying about the way that we connect to each other through story. I also just want to add to that, that like, there are people who like the most introverted, shyest person who maybe is like the most misanthropic person, like possible person that you can imagine will probably still read books or will probably still like watch a movie alone in their apartment. There's still a need to connect. Like I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody who is just completely checked out from other people. But yeah, let's jump on to the workplace now. I just wanted to add that in. That is a great point. I think, though, the comment about introverts, it's not that you have to be a storyteller to enjoy storytelling. You could enjoy listening or consuming across all different mediums, which I think is important to note. You don't have to be like a boisterous, outgoing person who does like to talk to strangers to be a storyteller or a story enjoyer. Right. To circle back, we've talked a little bit about storytelling kind of with interpersonal relationships, but maybe Molly, would you want to talk a little bit more about storytelling in the workplace? Sure. And I'm excited to hear what Rich has to say about this too, just because he's done so many of these business storytelling trainings with different types of businesses and and individuals. I want to just kind of provide a broad framework for how I think of this. In terms of storytelling in a workplace, I think it does at least three key things. And I'll just focus on these for a moment. First, it basically builds the understanding that employees have of each other. So their understanding of each other then helps them feel more loyal and committed to one another. This is really important in a really diverse workplace. And I definitely found, you know, as I'm almost always, in fact, I think every time I've been in a workplace, even when there are other Jewish people around, I'm the only remotely observant one usually. And I will say that, you know, I frequently found that in my later years, I came to understand when we had disagreements in the workplace that felt cultural, it was related to the fact that I wasn't really understanding that the workplace was operating on sort of norms around how to be a a proper white Protestant person in America. And I just wasn't well trained in that as as an observant Jew who was often surrounded by Jewish culture. And uh, when I came to understand that from some coaching from my mentor at a particular company I worked with, it helped me later understand that, you know, literally there were times when I might need to let people know my cultural background or kind of turn off part of my cultural background. Whereas if we'd started from a place of, you know, how do we communicate and how does that tie into our culture, we would have avoided some of the communication issues that we had. And so I think, you know, especially when you're trying to build a healthy, diverse workplace, not just build diversity, but build a place where people understand how our actions and our communication styles relate to the cultures we come from, it's super important. It, it, I can't even emphasize this enough to understand the stories behind how we act. And, and that includes family stories or, you know, hey, I just came out of college and I'm 22. You know, I've had really young coworkers who might act differently because of where they were coming from in terms of recent life experiences. So the first one is just about understanding each other in a diverse workplace and that, how that builds loyalty to each other. The second one is just storytelling builds commitment to the company's brand or brands and its overall mission. And um, I can tell you hands down, the reason I was in social enterprises for years is because I was taught as a young kid that the highest level of justice in Judaism is to enter into a business partnership with someone and build economic sustainability in that person's life. And so in my case, it made sense to work in a field of, you know, building self-sustainability for people 
because it meant that I was acting on deeply held values that I had and also values that I had taught to me by my parents of, of being self-sufficient. And being in board games itself, just to switch gears a little, I love building community. I spent my whole life building communities, whether in grad school or in Jewish communities or social justice themed communities. And so board games were a natural outgrowth of that because when you play a game together, you essentially are, you know, are building a deeper emotional connection to each other, especially when your game is based on telling funny, you know, very detailed stories. In fact, we found just from our Kickstarter video, the people who had never met during that filming went on to do more than 30 hours of games together. We found out later through no work of our own. Wow. So literally we were building a community of friends out of that Kickstarter video, which was like a two hours of a night, you know? So, you know, building commitment to your organization's brand and mission is all about making sure employees have a chance to communicate. How does my personal story and my personal values intersect and overlap with the values and mission of this company or this nonprofit? And then thirdly, I would just say that, you know, storytelling, as everybody probably knows, but it's, it's worth stating, builds customer commitment or loyalty to a brand. One of my favorite examples of that is when REI did the Get Outside campaign and made a point of very publicly closing on the busiest shopping day of the year, Black Friday. REI is all about their customers getting outside. And they said, look, we're going to let our employees get outside too. We're going to sacrifice those sales to emphasize the fundamental value we have of being outside and enjoying nature over the consumerism in our society. So I thought that was a good way to build commitment of customers. I'm someone who you know, love shopping at REI already, but would definitely choose REI over other brands because of that point. In terms of my own company, Flying League Games, the brand is all about building community through crazy, quirky storytelling. And on a more personal level, building the skill set of thinking on the fly and, and being able to tell funny stories about how you'd resolve situations. Again, just fast paced, creative storytelling and problem solving is something that our brand stands for. And so you know, part of what we are, we're doing in, in some future pieces of the business that we're launching is to emphasize that winging it lifestyle. So Molly, can you recap those three? And then I'm curious to hear what Rich thinks or has reactions about. Absolutely. So just to recap, the first one was about storytelling as a way of building employees' understanding of each other and therefore commitment and loyalty to each other. The second one was about commitment to the company's brand or brand mission. And that just means making sure that employees understand and communicate how their personal story aligns with the story of a brand and a company overall. And the third one is about building customer loyalty by emphasizing the story behind a brand and the values behind a brand so that customers themselves will understand, oh, when I buy your product and support your brand, I'm also finding a way to build my own brand through the brand of your product or, or service. Great. I think that Molly's points are incredibly on point. Like that's exactly what it is. We live in, you know, in America in 2018, it is incredibly important for any brand to be clear about what they believe, to hold their story up in a useful way, to kind of stick out from the crowd, but also to communicate what a brand values and what's important to a brand. Because there's so much noise in the world right now, and there are so many challenges that we're all dealing with on the daily. It's no longer possible for a company to just kind of 
be sort of neutral and amorphous. They have to assume a shape in order to stand out. And they also have to be direct about what they value because our lives are like what Molly was talking about, where you try to understand where everyone is coming from. Like that's what a negotiation is. And any negotiation is, Hey, this is who I am. This is what's important to me. Is there some way that we can help each other? Is there an obstacle? And if so, like, where can we find the common ground? And if we can't find the common ground, how can we part on in easy terms without it having being some sort of conflict? So in all of these ways, storytelling is the thing that moves you forward, your brand story, your origin story, your the way your values shine through your stories. And before we move into Wing It and how storytelling has really been a major part of the game, Rich, like Molly said, I know you regularly do these trainings, these corporate trainings about storytelling. So are there any main takeaways from those that you would be able to share with listeners? Yeah, I think it's really easy for us all to get caught up in our experiences. Like so many people go through their days just kind of you're trying to knock off your checklist of your to-do list. You're trying to, to get everything done that you need to do. And you forget that a lot of the time that the other person is going through the same thing. So I would encourage everybody as they move through their days, like you're going in the morning and you're trying to get your coffee before you go to the office and the barista is rude to you. Rather than make the story you tell about that event, the barista was rude to me, make the story, the barista probably had something going on in their life that I don't know about. And that could be anything. And like maybe they weren't even rude to me. Maybe they were just preoccupied with something far more important than like my that one transaction. And I would encourage people just to look for where the other person's story is before we fall into our patterns of just, you know, focusing on our narrative and spinning our anxiety wheels, just to bring it back to empathy again, because I think that's what this work ultimately is about. And in my experiences in the public speaking training and storytelling training I've done for companies is people respond to that in a powerful way. When they see you being open and vulnerable and giving your best self and assuming the best about the person that you might be interacting with instead of assuming the worst. Like there's a chance for real connection there. And I think that's powerful. Whether you're in your work day or in your private life, that's powerful. And people respond to that. I love that. Not only is it great to, it's almost like your scenario playing in your mind that the barista could have had any number of things going on, probably none of them related to you. But then in your retelling of the story, people start to see you in a certain positive light, not as somebody who puts the blame on them or thinks the world is out to get you. So the storytelling, there's just so many different angles that it seems like it comes back up. Yeah, it's a useful thing to catch when you're, because it's so ingrained in who people are that we don't even realize we're telling a story in our own head to ourselves all the time. And I just would encourage people to catch yourself, catch yourself doing that. Catch yourself being you know, frustrated by the person who's walking briskly past you and not trying and not going for your better impulse of like, oh, like maybe they're late for something important or maybe they're upset about some event that has happened in their life. And just just try to look at all the possibilities instead of having the story be this person blew past me and almost pushed me to the ground. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice and something that we can all do every day. I think just becoming more aware and catching yourself if you can, when you start to story tell would be a very positive exercise for anybody to try out. And speaking of, so the concept of wing it, it really does involve storytelling. And maybe that could be some good practice for people to get this awareness into their lives. So Molly, can you tell us a little bit more about how wing it came to be a part of your company first, and then we can move in how to play? Absolutely. So the game preceded the company only because I figured, you know, hey, I might need some money for grad school back in 2010. Might as well design a game that I can sell a million copies of and, and pay for grad school. And, and while it didn't quite work out that easy, <laughs> it did lead other places that were exciting and thrilling and have been a wild ride for me. So winging it itself is kind of built into the, the DNA of how we started the game and the company. I'll just point to, to a few examples of that. So back in 2010, I called my friend John, who I probably hadn't seen in over a year. He had moved to Boston. We hadn't hung out since he'd moved there. And he was a childhood friend who I knew was really quirky and, um, you know, might have some time in his life during a math PhD. So actually very little time. But I called him up and I said, hey, do you want to invent a board game together? And I gave him the idea and he said, sure. So with no no experience and no connections, we decided to set out on this board game journey. And when we actually incorporated several years later, it was not because I thought, OK, I'm now financially secure. I have more connections. I think we had maybe one more connection that we had uh, when we actually started the game itself, but we incorporated because I'll be totally honest. I was actually let go from a podcast six weeks after moving to New York city. And I sat in a park for four hours and thought, well, I could either, you know, go through the job process again and try to get a new job, or I could just launch a company I've been working on for years anyway. And so we went for it and we did the Kickstarter. I had basically a few months savings in the bank and was paying almost double rent and decided to go for it. And, you know, we ended up coming up with what was essentially a hit that kind of leads me into the, the third winging it story. Back in March, I was at the Gamma Trade Show, a game industry convention that is only industry people. And I was so low on money at the time that I wasn't going to be able to make April rent. And uh, I decided to borrow money from my parents to, to fly to Reno, uh, Nevada. And um, basically, one night in Reno, walked into a bar, a hotel bar and that, that had only retailers there. And I said, well, I want to meet retailers. Better go where the retailers, you know, just had a presentation, joined a friendly group. And after just chatting with one of them for a little while, he found out I had a game and decided, you know, basically wanted to take a look at it. So he said, I'll, I'll check out your game while you eat your cheese. I had a big block of cheese that I really wanted to eat. And um, I hadn't had enough for dinner. I just walked two miles from a grocery store to save money on an Uber. And uh, so I started eating my cheese. And a few minutes later, he says, you know, I PayPal you for 10 of these right now. And I was like, really? Because 10 was the biggest order I'd ever had, which was from the Strand, the, the bookstore in New York City. And he said, yeah, I could, I could sell five of these tomorrow. I could sell five of them right now. Watch me. And he proceeds to play with the group of retailers. And for the next three and a half to four hours, they played the game. They gave me endless valuable advice. And they even got one sort of guru retailer, my now friend Andrew, out of bed to come play the game. And so essentially what happened is that we went from, you know, a handful of stores, like 10 or 11 stores, to close to 60 stores in just about four weeks and ran out of games quickly. And they told me, multiple retailers said, you know, it's because you had a good story. You know, there were 5,000 games produced in the U.S. last year. Game designers are a dime a dozen. Great games are easy to find. And a lot of great games don't make it. But they remembered the cheese and they remembered that, I was willing to take advice. They said a lot of game designers don't take advice. 
So they, they told this story to their private group of, of retailers on Facebook and essentially spread the word among each other. And so kind of just walking into a bar with my cheese led to this like explosion of retailers wanting the game. <laughs> that's, that's a little background. I was going to say, it's fitting that a story about an absurd scenario led to you selling a game about absurd scenarios. Exactly. That's literally what happened. And all of a sudden I could make April rent which was exciting because I didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> it's always so, exciting when you can make rent. <laughs> yeah. And the game itself, you know, is about what would you do in this crazy scenario if, if you were in this messy situation, all you had was a block of cheese and these other funny resources, what would you do? So basically there's a, a rotating judge in the game who decides each round what the most compelling story was, whether it's the funniest or the best delivery or the most creative use of resources, or of course, you know, the most likely to resolve the situation. So I'm going to give an example here of, of what I mean. And maybe we can even play one if you guys are up for it. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's do player's choice between something about a new tech fad, a situation that's more historical about the French Revolution and guillotines, or a sticky situation with your ex-spouse. Do any of these uh, strike your fancy? Rich, I'll let you pick between the first and the third option. But let's go with, it's funny because I was like, second option, guillotines, French Revolution. That's the one I know the least about. (laughs) But let's go with the first one. (laughs) Let's go with the first one. Great. Great choice. I'm going to give you a situation and the way it works is that each of you have five resources and you use three of them to resolve the scenario. Rich, you'll go for it first, I guess, since you're a, a professional storyteller and trainer. So, <laughs> so it'll be funnier when I fall on my face. Exactly. <laughs> or it'll just be funnier when you're funnier, period. <laughs> it's much more amusing when the professionals take on the, the challenge. So Rich, you're a huge fan of the new Internet of Things craze, and all of your appliances are connected to the Internet. This evening, yeah. dinner is interrupted when your vacuum cleaner starts careening around the house and sucking up all your clothes, kitchen utensils, and toiletries. You suspect you're being hacked by your neighbor who's been really angry that you've been using her wireless network for months. So Internet of Things craze, wildly careening vacuum cleaner is taking all of your appliances and other possessions. So just for people playing on with us, that's the situation. So I've got the vacuum cleaner and I've got taking, that's sucking up all my possessions. I've got the neighbor who's mad at me because I've been using her Wi-Fi. Exactly. So this is definitely a situation. Yeah. I mean, this is just, this is Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually my Tuesday as well. So (laughs) I'll read aloud five different resources that you have to resolve this scenario. And you get to choose three of them and tell a story about how you'll resolve the situation. Great. So first you have the stones from Stonehenge. Two and a half cups of a child's salty tears. A pancreas. Five seductive chickens and one pound of leg hair. And I made it particularly hard for you just because you're a professional. <laughs> thank you, thank and you. one pound of leg hair. Okay. For which I have no apologies. Yes. So I'm going to read those one more time, especially for listeners out there. And, yeah. and just say, since he's on the spot here, usually you'd have a little time, but no, no such luxury. Usually these would be five different cards that I would have in my hand or Rich would have exactly. in his hand. Mm-hmm. Everyone has five different ones and they get... You know, as long as it takes, usually it's between 20 and 40 seconds to come up with their crazy story. All right, cool. Sources include stones from Stonehenge, two and a half cups of a child's salty tears. They could be tears of joy or tears of pain. We don't really know. (laughs) A a human pancreas, 
Five seductive chickens and one pound of leg hair. Okay. So there are times in your life where (laughs) it is important to just cut your losses and get out. This is one of those times. What you have to do in a situation like this when the vacuum cleaner has taken all of your clothes is gather your chickens and your stone henges and leave behind a pound of leg hair in your old life. Because where you're going to go, you're not going to need it. And it will be an indication to your neighbor that you might have spontaneously combusted. Because what you're doing is faking your own death and moving to a nudist colony where you won't need the clothes, you won't need the objects, because you will be able to make a spiritual, you'll be able to set yourself up as a spiritual guru at this nudist colony using the stones from Stonehenge. And you can invite people to join your little spiritual nudist commune by cooking the five seductive chickens and doling them out to anyone who is not vegetarian and not adverse to eating seductive chickens. And at this point, you will be free from the Wi-Fi hating neighbor, you'll be free from the chains of your old life, and you'll be on to a new spiritual journey with a new name, a new identity, and no need for clothes. One might say you've cut your losses and cut your leg hairs. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> to give your story a title, my only contribution to this masterpiece. <laughs> also, I believe you're the first person in human history to ever combine leg hair, seductive chickens, and a nudist, nudist colony. <laughs> well, I'm a trailblazer sometimes. What can I say? <laughs> I'm angry at how well that went for you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, so now I get to play. Yeah, yeah. I picked out some good ones for you. Okay, by good, do you mean beginner level? Absolutely. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) You have a 20th century catapult, a chihuahua in a sweater, a subscription to Netflix, a Supreme Court justice, and a human-sized hamster wheel. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. Can you read it one more time? Catapult. (laughs) Yes, of course. Again, that's a 12th century catapult, a chihuahua in a sweater. And if it helps, we'll say it's a ugly Christmas sweater because that's recognizable. Mm -hmm. A subscription to Netflix, a Supreme Court justice and a human sized hamster wheel. Okay. And for listeners, I have the same scenario. Can you read the scenario again? Absolutely. So basically, you're a huge fan of the new Internet of Things craze. And all of your appliances are connected to the internet. This evening, your dinner is interrupted when your vacuum cleaner starts careening around the house and sucking up all of your clothes, kitchen utensils, and toiletries. It's a a very powerful vacuum cleaner. You suspect that you've been hacked by your neighbor who's been really angry that you're using and have been using her wireless network for months. Blurg. Okay. This is inter- I'm just going to speak out loud on my reactions because I'm playing this for the first time. So because it's so open-ended, there's not like a, what problem do you solve or what do you do? And I love to solve problems. So now my brain is just like, what do we do now? It's so open-ended. Okay. So. And by the way, this is hard for professionals, clearly. So, so don't <laughs> feel like uh, <laughs> up with a brilliant scenario the first time. Or no, no. Oh, well, it's definitely not going to be brilliant, but I am certainly <laughs> going to make an attempt. So I realized that 
my house was starting to go haywire. You mentioned the vacuum was going crazy. Everything was getting sucked up. But to be honest, I wasn't really that worried about anything until it took away my one true love, my Netflix addiction to Queer Eye. So here I am trying to get to the root of this problem. And I'm running around. I'm talking to Foofy, my chihuahua. And, you know, he's got to wear this sweater around all the time. But now that we don't have AC anymore, he's starting to get upset with me, too. He's thinking, Mom, I got to keep wearing this sweater and looking good, like the Queer Eye guy said to me. But unless we get some AC going, we're going to have to make an outfit change. So I'm thinking quickly on my feet. And then I remember, I have a dinner guest over. It's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Supreme Court justice at the ready to help me sue my neighbor. So we go on over, realize we've been hacked. She lays down the law, goes home to do her daily workouts. And then Foofy and I get back to Queer Eye. Amazing. Yay. That was quite good for, especially for a first time, but even Oof. even for a 10th time. Thank you. I'm feeling adrenaline over here. <laughs> Anytime yeah. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's name comes up, I feel adrenaline. Like, please stay alive. <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, in my initial mental draft of this story, she was either on the hamster wheel or going in the catapult and thought, I can't do that to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's pretty tough. She has a hardcore workout that I certainly couldn't match, just saying. Oh, I think she could withstand it, but I don't think she'd be pleased with me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this makes me want to keep playing, which obviously I'll have to do some other time because we can't just keep listeners listening to us go. <laughs> but this was so fun to play wing it together. Thanks. We actually uh, decided it was fun to watch too. So we're bringing together four comedians for our first wing it live show. And uh, we'll be doing these monthly in Brooklyn and Manhattan with four New York city comedians and actors playing the game live on stage, competing against each other. Then the audience members compete. And then the top audience members will play against the winning comedians that's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Winning crazy prizes. Yep. Not only does that sound entertaining, but it sounds educational. Like I could pick up a few tips from these people. Oh, definitely. <laughs> well, we will definitely make sure that in the show notes for this episode, people can see links to buy the game, wing it, to attend any of the events if they do happen to be nearby in Manhattan or Brooklyn, and to generally bring more just awesome storytelling and games into their lives. But before we go, do you guys have any kind of final thoughts or anything you'd like to leave listeners with? Maybe we'll go Molly first and then Rich. Sure. You know, just building off of what Rich said earlier and, you know, struggles that I've seen or experienced as well. That if you are ever having a little trouble understanding where someone's coming from, if you find that they're frustrating you or you're driving them crazy, just propose a, you know, campfire style sit down team building session at work where you all get to sit around and, and talk about the stories of where you came from, whether culturally or geographically, or in terms of how your family worked things out perhaps. And I can guarantee that after a session like that, you might still be super annoyed with each other, but at least you'll have an understanding of where the other person came from. And you'll be a hell of a lot more likely to get along later. Just understanding, you know, what their origin story is. <laughs> and how about you, Rich? I'd like to encourage people to, seek out stories that they normally don't like or 
types of stories where you normally think of yourself as I'm not really into this type of story. And that type of thing could be, I know a lot of people who are like, I don't like horror movies or whatever. Try yourself, challenge yourself sometime on a genre or of storytelling that you don't usually connect to. And just let, let yourself be a little bit more detached from it and see if you can get something out of it. Because most of the time we, we kind of, we make these quick assumptions in our mind when we're formulating our taste, like, oh, I like this, I don't like this. But the truth is there's a great deal of variety in every type of genre of storytelling. And a great way to, st- to understand narrative and story is to like constantly challenge yourself about the types of narratives that you consume and just be aware of the stories that you're taking in and consuming and what their hidden messages might be, uh, what they might be expressing. I always like to point out to people how actually conservative the movie Ghostbusters is, how it's all about a small business owner fighting the EPA. And like, we often don't think about that. We think of this movie as like a beloved, you know, childhood classic for people who grew up at a certain time, but there's little things like that, just like raising your kind of awareness for what's out there is always going to be a good thing for you. Yeah, I think raising awareness is a really nice theme that you both have talked about kind of throughout. Yeah, I just, I have to put it out there that, you know, I I mentioned Hillbilly Elegy, but to make it, you know, even more personal for what Rich is saying, he reminded me, it's easy, especially in a place like Brooklyn, to surround yourself with people just like you. So doing what my mom does and, you know, reading news from all different countries that the U.S. has some real problems with, or, uh, you know, my own life, just when I found out my cousin was a big fan of uh, building the wall, you know, we, we couldn't have more opposite views, just making sure to ask a question, where is that coming from, instead of just uh, jumping in and getting ready for an argument, you know. And so just finding someone's story of where, where their views come from is, is fundamentally important to building a positive relationship. Mm-hmm. That's such a useful question, I think. Like, where is that coming from? Instead of just jumping to a that's wrong, really trying to understand the story behind different people who are you know, maybe unlike you in the workplace or unlike the things that you typically read in the news or the entertainment you consume. I think that's such a great tip that anybody could really take away from all of this. So I have to really thank both of you for coming and sharing just how much storytelling can really contribute to empathy in so many different parts of our lives. Thanks. I love talking about storytelling. So anybody, any of your listeners who want to join in conversation about it, they can definitely reach out to us through Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And we'll be leaving some info on that. Yes, absolutely. People will get links to everywhere. They can find both of you on the internet, in the show notes. And listeners, I do hope that you reach out, check out Wing It, or at the very least, get yourself a nice human pancreas. Thanks so much for joining us this week. You can see links to learn more about Wing It, Molly, and Rich in today's show notes at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash 13. Now, as a quick word of praise for Wing It, here's what Annabeth Carroll, Kickstarter video player and play tester, had to say. She said, I feel like we were sitting around a campfire, telling heroic tales and trying to outdo each other. After swapping stories about ridiculous situations, our group of former strangers had transformed into a team of Conrads. You learn a lot about people by hearing how they escaped a rising tide of deadly fudge. Now, if that's not a rave review and also one that makes me hungry, I don't know what is. Check it out at wingitthegame.com. You won't be disappointed. 
hope you enjoyed this episode about storytelling with Molly Zeff and Rich Lovejoy. I'm Melissa Guller, and you've been listening to Figuring It Out. See you next week.